a Podcast One production. Hey, I'm former Australian beach sprinter and fitness trainer Katie Williams. When I was competing, I would do anything I needed to do to be the best. But now that I'm retired, I'm trying to develop a more balanced relationship with my diet, exercise, and my body image. In each episode, I'll try a different diet or lifestyle challenge for two weeks to see if it helps me think, move, or feel better. For two weeks, the challenge I'm taking on is positive psychology, addressing my problems with perfectionism and self-criticism. Perfectionism and self-criticism does affect me in ways that I can actually procrastinate. I can hold back from things that I want to do because I'm afraid of putting it out there not perfect. It can take up a lot of my mental energy. It can make me not feel good enough. Sometimes I don't feel pride, happiness or joy in their full capacity. And I think by being a perfectionist or having a habit of a perfectionist mindset or being self-critical means that I'm not living to my full potential and it can be really unrealistic to have these standards and expectations. What I want to get out of this challenge is I want to understand what drives me, what needs more work and how I can become more aligned. I want to feel more pride, more joy and more happiness internally. I want to feel more content and more fulfilled to enjoy the process and not be so results driven. I don't want to carry emotional baggage. I want to feel emotionally lighter and just have a kinder mindset. So to help me with this challenge, I brought in Dr. Susie Green. She's the founder and CEO of the Positivity Institute. She's a clinical and positive psychologist. I wanted to get Susie into the studio to give me the correct tools and information on perfectionism and self-criticism and help me find a solution to it. I'm here with the wonderful Dr. Susie Green, clinical psychologist, founder and CEO of the Positivity Institute. I am honoured to have you in here. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Katie. I'm so excited. So what is the difference between clinical psychology and positive psychology? Yes, so a really simple way to look at it, um, although it is quite simplistic, if you like, that as a clinician, as a clinical psych, my job was possibly taking people that were suffering from minus five up to zero. So my job was actually done when somebody reported normal symptoms on the depression, anxiety and stress scale. It was like ta-ta. But as a positive psychologist and coach, my job is to take people from zero to plus five. So for enhanced levels of well-being. So just because we aren't reporting symptoms of depression, anxiety and stress doesn't mean we're experiencing elevated levels of well-being. So it's like self-optimization. Absolutely. This is so exciting. Yeah. I love that. So why do people practice positive psychology? Well, it really is. I mean, it's defined for many people as a science of well-being, but I would argue that it's more than that. It's actually formally defined as the science of optimal human functioning. So very simply, us at our best. And it sits on the shoulders um, of humanistic psychology, which was an, a form of psychology that was really prevalent in the 50s and 60s with, again, you know, optimal human, us being our best as humans. Um, but then cognitive behavioural science came in and has proliferated like through education. And that's been really powerful. But positive psychology has come back to this is not just about treating distress and disorder. This is really about functioning at our best, whether that's in a performance setting or in our everyday lives. 
I used to really sort of bury, I wouldn't say bury my emotions, but shift through them very quickly. Yes. Just train really hard, sort of, yeah, use exercise as my band-aid solution. And this is when I was younger. And now, you know, if you'd said to me years ago that, because I journal on my feelings and just even just saying that, just I literally just sound like such a wuss. <laughs> like I think, oh my God, I sit around and journal. Because really I, I have completely changed. I was a very savage, tough judgmental person on myself. Right. Um, and I think, you know, it's that self-critical mind and it's being an athlete, you look at every 1% and, you know, for me, if I wasn't winning, oh, that was the biggest failure. Like if I, if I got second, if I was aiming first and I got second, like yes. I was a failure. So it's interesting because that mindset has carried on with me, but I'm so much more aware of it. Yes. But it's taken me years to sort of sift through what works me, what doesn't, what serves me, what doesn't serve me. Um, and it's funny, I've had, you know, a few people throughout the last few years tell me, you know, why don't you go get some help? But I found a way to be like, oh, there's so many other people that are worse off. Yes. So it's amazing how you can justify not going to get help. So I, I suppose, you know, this leading into the question, I was, I have been resistant to help purely because I felt like I don't need it. Yes. I definitely think have things that trigger me, but I haven't really had a breaking point. I've had moments in my life where I've felt like, oh, you know what, this is really hard. Yes. But I've looked at the big picture and thought, I'm going to be okay. But do you think there needs to be a breaking point to go get help? What's I, your view? I'd actually hope that we don't get to that. I mean, in yeah. fact, that's been my experience when I was working clinically, that it was a breaking point that brought people in. So it got to a point where they just came crashing down or um, a partner said they were going to leave. Like there was some significant event to bring them in. Whereas ideally, my hope is that people will seek therapy much more proactively to just be the, their best selves. And we've all got stuff from the past. Everybody yeah. does. And if you don't, if you don't, I guess, understand where that's come from. I mean, one of our lecturers used to say, um, if you're going to bury something, make sure it's dead because it'll come back to haunt you, which was really powerful. I always oh, I love rem that. remembered that. Savage, yeah. but true. So I guess in terms of you know, a lot of people say, I don't want to go back to the past. But if, if there's benefit in looking at, like for yourself, you've said you've worked out perhaps where some of those beliefs or behaviours have come from. Yeah. And it's not to judge, you know, perhaps people that might have, you know, in, given you those, you know, in, had an impact on you in terms of the way that you're thinking or behaving. It's to be a little bit compassionate towards yourself and towards those around you that they were doing the best that they could. Yeah. And these were the messages that you grew up with. Um, and I guess we're also, as you would know, it's changing now, but we've been in a society, particularly as women and females, that emotions weren't really taken seriously. Like you were hysterical if you yeah. were emotional, you know? Yeah. And um, it's only been in the last 10 or 15 years that emotional intelligence has become a really important topic in leadership development and that males who have typically being very rational, have realised how important it is to tap into your emotions because they are information. And so, and for females, perhaps we need sometimes to go more to the rational. And again, these are gender, gender sweeping gender generalisations, so I want to okay. be careful of that. But the ideal is that we have both the rational and the emotional working together. So the reason why I've got you in the studio today is because Better For It is a challenge-based podcast. And the challenge I wanted to do with you is around perfectionism and self-criticism. Yes. So the two things that I have definitely noticed in my life that have held me back are my need for perfectionism in performance and self-criticism 
of self and also performance. So, you know, being an athlete, I would look at all the one percenters. I had a coach my whole life. Um, you know, I was, I was world champion. I was, yes. a, I was a good athlete. Um, but I saw every fault and I still see everything that needs improvement. And I've gotten better in terms of, you know, the, physically the way I look. I, I still want to be leaner and, you know, I used to have more of a six-pack and all that kind of stuff. But now that's just trash. That's just trivial stuff. Um, but I definitely see this as something that holds me back within work because obviously I'm progressing in my career really well, mm. um, but the fulfilment, the joy and the pride is not there. Right. So I struggle a bit with feeling proud. So I think given we've been speaking a lot about uh, your thoughts and beliefs, it's going to be a mindset challenge. Um, in saying that, it sounds really simple and there are a lot of books out there about, you know, or oh, just change your thinking. I just want to preface this with it's actually really difficult to change your thinking, um, but I am going to set the challenge that you firstly become aware of the types of, uh, we call them ants, the automatic negative thoughts, and we all have them. Uh, they're actually symptomatic of clinical depression. So if you talk to anyone that's clinically depressed, they will, like one of my clients told me once, I have an ant farm, I have that many ants. Oh. <laughs> and sometimes you do need a medication to be able to reduce the ants to do the psychological skills. But I mean, we all have ants. Everybody has ants, particularly if you're in, in a stressful situation or if you're feeling sick or whatever. So I'm going to get you to start to catch those ants, particularly the ones that relate to the self-criticism um, and the ones that are quite harsh around your performance, things that aren't good enough or I should, the shoulds. You'll probably notice oh, quite a few shoulds in and there. And the what ifs. And the, and the what, what if. What if I just did it this way? <laughs> exactly. It's done. Exactly. So... Often we find they're in your head and it's really hard it's really hard to do something with them when you're when you're in your head. So this challenge is going to involve you at the end of the day as best as you can reflecting on the day and writing down uh, those self-critical thoughts that might have emerged. I mean during the day if you feel like you need to capture them, capture them, but I'd really like you to look at the end of the day uh, as well and look at how we, how are you feeling? Because I want you to see the link between your thoughts and your emotions. Because a lot of people don't even realise that regardless of whether an emotion comes first, and there is, you know, there is the scenario where emotions can kick in, we can get triggered by certain things. But we also know that thoughts can drive emotions, that certain types of thoughts can create an anxiety state or an anger state or a sad state. And we also know that if you're feeling a certain emotion, that thoughts can either make them stronger or they can minimise them a little as well. So I want you to write them down and notice that link between your thoughts and your emotions and perhaps your behaviours as well mm. because um, you might see that there are certain behaviours that kick in when you have these types of thoughts, feel these certain types of emotions and then you behave in certain ways. Mm. Um, and look, often those ways might be you know, counteractive to to the goal that you're actually trying to achieve. So if you're not feeling great, you have, have had these ants, you've been beating yourself up really harshly, you're not feeling great, you might be more likely to reach for a glass of wine when you know that tomorrow you want to be at your absolute peak mm. and alcohol is going to affect your sleep through the night. So I guess the first step is seeing the connections between thoughts, emotions and, and behaviours and noticing if there's any themes cool. around you know, this self-criticism or perfectionism, if you like. And I think that in and of itself is going to be a big aha, hopefully. Mm. 
to, to see how they are so strongly connected. But the next part of the challenge is to come up with, and I'm calling them cats. Normally we turn our ants into our pets. So pets are performance enhancing thoughts. So what, not positive, but just performance, what sort of thinking patterns are going to actually help me feel a little bit more relaxed, feel a little bit more hopeful, address this challenging situation right now in a less anxious state, if you like. Um, but we're calling them cats in this scenario. So these are compassion activating thoughts. Because you've been so hard on yourself, um, <laughs> beating yourself up, got the the old whip out, um, gotcha. I want you to actually come up with some of these cats. So what types of thoughts can you say to yourself? And I actually want you to write these down. So I'm thinking possibly five of them. And you might want to put them on a little cue card that you can look at um, I'd I'd say possibly three times a day for the next so good. for the next two weeks, and when you're and you don't have to say these out loud, you can just say them internally to yourself. And some of the most more recent research around this concept of self compassion is that you just give yourself a little a little hug, some sort of physical gesture as you're saying these compassion statements, like it's safe for me to show kindness to myself. I deserve compassion and tender tenderness for myself. My mistakes just show me that I'm growing and learning. And these are just examples Mm. right now. Mm. So as you're saying them, give yourself a little physical gesture of warmth. And the research suggests that it is about releasing oxytocin, which is this bonding and, um, you know, warm feeling that will induce these feelings of compassion as well. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That makes me uncomfortable, which is a great thing. Yeah. <laughs> it makes me good. It's so funny. Like I think about it makes me more uncomfortable to give myself compassion. I do have some fears around this challenge. Yes. Uh, one is, you know, old memories that are going to arise. Clearly a lot of these ants or um, automatic negative thoughts can come from perhaps a memory or a trauma. Yeah. So sitting with some of those old memories, which I know – Um, some of them are attached to not feeling good enough. You know, I remember even at my fittest and my fastest, I still didn't feel good enough. Yeah. Even though I thought I was going to win. Yeah. (laughs) There's still something deep in me that didn't feel good enough. Um, And I did have a real sort of arrogant, confident, very probably, yeah, cocky attitude as an athlete, Um, but it was sort of a facade. Yeah. Um, But it really worked because it threw my opposition off. So it's definitely some old memories in there that probably will come up. Um, Hopefully I can link them to those ants. Um, Maybe not being so tough as I think I am. Um, A lot of people will say to me like, oh, you know, you're so tough. Like you don't let things get to you. You have – and and it's a really nice – I think that's a really – Nice thing to say because it means obviously I can get through things. But like you said, if you haven't worked through a memory or a trigger, it's going to come up again. That's so, right. you know, perhaps that toughness is actually just a blanket, you know, a band-aid solution. So I'll probably figure out that I'm not so tough. And the other thing is, which is so bad to say, I just don't really have time for a mental health day. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have time for a mental health day. I just think like, oh, shit, now I've got to go through, like, I don't know, you kind of, I remember saying to a friend of mine not long ago, you know, I got triggered about something recently and he was like, God, just go sort this out. It's really, it won't even take you long to clear it. And I was like, no, because then I have to sit through it all again. I have time. 
I've got to take a few days off to clear it. It's going to, you know, got to integrate it. It's going to take some time for me to feel that pain again. I feel all right about it. Yeah. So I really do think that that is shocking to think, oh, just just keep moving forward and don't don't look back because I know that that's the wrong thing to do. So I suppose, yeah, my fears are old memories. Perhaps I'm not as tough as I think I am. And then not really having time if I, if I have a bit of a breakdown or if I have. Yeah. And I think it'll be an opportunity for you to um, determine whether you might want to go and seek some therapy around some of the past issues that yeah. haven't been fully resolved. But you might also find that this approach and allowing yourself to view yourself with more a more compassionate heart for your old self, the younger self, because you've grown since all of that. And partly those experiences make you who you are yeah, now as well. Exactly. So having, you know, perhaps by taking this compassionate approach and doing, I would encourage some journaling. I know you're a, a journaler, which is great. There's so much research on the therapeutic benefits of journaling. Um, so y- you might find it's not as difficult a task as what you think, but it could, as you said, make you realise that perhaps there is some stuff that would be better off doing six sessions, seeing someone and really you know, dealing with it so that it's not going to continue to keep impacting on my present and my future. Absolutely. And I had this conversation with my mother the other day. I said, I'd rather just, you know, I, I want to feel more proud, you know, because I, I never sit in my accomplishments ever. I, I like, I feel good for like an hour and I'm like, all right, what next? Yeah. It's so bad. Because what might that mean if you sit with your accomplishments? What might that mean that you just become... You know, complacent, complacent, and but you, that's not true. <laughs> no, that's right. <laughs> so, bad. so that's why sometimes again capturing these, writing them down because they're they're in your head. But when you write them down, it might be the trigger for you to think, yeah, that's actually not helping me, and I it is going to be more helpful to think a certain way, you know, to get where I really want to get into the future and sustain that. I'd love to talk to you about the changes that I should expect physically, socially and mentally from this challenge. Yeah, well, I think two weeks is not a long period of time. Um, ideally, if we're working with someone in a coaching scenario, you'd want a minimum of three months, but in executive coaching, it's often six or 12 months to really notice changes. But I think the first thing will be this increased awareness of how many ants you're actually having. In fact, I've had clients come back and say, oh my goodness, I'm having more ants than ever. And I've said, it's not that you're having more, it's just that you're aware of them. You're noticing them now. So you might notice them a lot more, but I think you'll be able to see that connection, as I said before, between the thinking and the emotions. As you're recognising those unhelpful thoughts, particularly the, you know, the harsh ones, it might trigger off some memories, which you've already identified. So there might be a little bit of appropriate sadness around what may have led to those beliefs. But there might also be a recognition of, wow, whilst there, I've recognised I want to work on being a little kinder to myself, they've actually served me very well to get Mm. me where I'm at. And if, again, you apply that level of gratitude to it, you might be able to sit more comfortably with how you were, and that's been great, but I'm transforming into a new Katie 2.0, 3.0, whatever she is now. And I think the other thing, which we haven't spoken about, if you are trying to make changes, it can be really helpful to bring 
someone in or some people in, and you've got to be very careful about who you bring in to a change process because you basically want to tell them, this is something that I'm working on. There's a good chance I'm going to revert to my old behaviours. And if you do, this is what I'm going to need from you. So they act as a, a, an encourager and a supporter, a cheerleader, if you like. Um, but yeah, you need absolutely need someone that's going to support you, not undermine what you're trying to achieve. Amazing. So my homework for this challenge is around mindset. I'm going to be looking at my ants, my automatic negative thoughts, and I'm going to link the thoughts and emotions and behaviours and try and see if there's a link between all three. And then I'm also going to work on my cats, my compassion activating thoughts, which is performance enhancing thoughts. I'm really excited. I do like journaling and hopefully I can see the link, you know, between the way I was, the way I am and trying to find, you know, a more compassionate side of myself and less critical. And hopefully you will experience uh, elevated levels of positive emotions. I mean, we said there may be some, you know, some of the memories that are brought up from the past, but by doing the compassion statements, I'm hoping that that's going to kick in the elevated positive emotions and love towards yourself as well. Amazing. I am so grateful to have you here. I've loved it. I think your work is incredible. I think people are going to get a real kick out of this episode and hopefully encourage people to either go get help or look into some of the things that they're trying to work on, some self-awareness, self-actualization. And yeah, I hope people just realise the importance of mental health. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It can be um, life-changing. I I know that for myself and for people that I've worked with. So I often say life's too short to languish. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you, Katie. You're doing great work. Thanks. I can't wait for this challenge. This challenge is all about understanding of self and then, of course, the end will be self-compassion and self-acceptance. So I just have to get through this uncomfortable few days of figuring out what's going on in my head. I do believe I'm a very positive person, but I've had a lot of negative thoughts and I'm like, wow, I didn't even realise that I'm constantly putting myself down, even though I feel like I'm doing a lot every day and I am being productive, but I could be so much more productive and focused if I didn't have all these limiting beliefs and these shit things I'm saying about myself. I just had a breakthrough just then. I just got nervous to read in front of a camera because I've always told myself I'm not a good reader. Breakthrough. This is what happens when you start questioning your thoughts. You connect them to old memories. The thing is with these automatic negative thoughts is they hold you back, they can affect your mental health and they massively hinder your performance. Because what you say to yourself, you become, you believe. Okay, so I've practiced positive psychology, focusing on perfectionism and self-criticism for two weeks. And the challenge is now over. So the question is, am I better for it? And the answer is, yes, I am. I found this challenge extremely hard. I found it painful and... I actually didn't think it was going to be this difficult. (laughs) I had so many thoughts, feelings and strange emotions that came up and in week one, it hit me hard. I had unexpected memories that popped up that I needed to clear. The memories were attached to the thoughts and the habits that I have today, which does make a lot of sense. 
I realised that I struggle with self-compassion and I struggle with kindness and that was upsetting for me in week one to realise just how hard I am on myself and just how judgmental I can be. In week two, I made some better progress. I realised that there's no such thing as perfect because life is imperfect and that things go wrong and that's normal to embrace my setbacks and my failures because at the end of the day, they're not actually failures. They've gotten me to a point in my career where I am today. I also realised in week two that I have to be aware of my suffering in order to give it compassion. If I don't do the work, I can't connect the dots. So if I hadn't looked back to the things that triggered me as a child, I wouldn't realise what needs working on now. My fears did play out throughout the challenge. I have a lot of behaviour that is attached to childhood memories and a lot of my aunts, which are automatic negative thoughts, are attached to that. One of them was that I'm not smart enough and a vivid memory came back to me when I was a child. I think I was in year three and I was pulled out of my classroom to go to a spelling group, which was to help the kids who weren't very good at spelling. And it's funny because now my spelling is still crap and so is my grammar, but I've written articles, I have published things and almost all my social media posts have spelling errors in them and to be honest, I'm okay with that. (laughs) Some of the other ants I had were that I'm not doing enough or that I should be more organised and to be honest, yeah, I probably can be more organised but the not doing enough is completely untrue. I actually do too much. So I've realised that a lot of these automatic negative thoughts are actually irrational and they're not helping me, they're hindering my progress. I had a lot of what ifs. What if I could do this over again? What if I, what if I could predict this? Or what if I completely fail and mess up? Once again, that is unlikely because I have been doing this for, for quite some time and at the end of the day, if I mess up or I fail, who cares because I'll learn and I'll grow. This challenge took a pretty solid impact on my mental health, um, physically and socially as well. Physically, I felt really flat. I actually got sick throughout this challenge and I had no energy. At the end of the challenge, I felt really good. The last few days, I got my energy back, but the emotional pain absolutely affected the physical. So I have no doubt this low physical energy was stemmed from my emotional trauma that I was trying to clear. Socially, I pulled away a little. I value alone time because I was protecting my energy. I spoke to my friends and a lot of them had the same negative thought patterns and it made me feel more connected to them that we both shared our stuff. Two weeks was not enough time for me to notice benefits. Two weeks was long enough for awareness, but I'm still connecting the dots. I will absolutely continue this challenge long term. It is something that I need to work on. It's something that I want to work on. And I've literally only just scratched the surface. Plus, I see so much value in clearing the baggage and paving the way for just a lighter, more productive and happy life. I would recommend others do this challenge or just seek professional advice. Go to a positive psychologist. Go speak to someone. Um, I do have some tips if you are going to do this challenge or if you just want to look into yourself. I would suggest journaling on what your best self is. What does your best self look like? What traits do they have? How do they behave? What thoughts does your best self have? And what habits does he or she have? I'll give you an example of what my best self, I believe, looks like. My best self meditates daily. She tries to move her body daily. She listens to her body's warning signs to slow down. She doesn't overcommit. She's kinder to herself and others. She wastes no time. She doesn't procrastinate. She gives 110% and she strives for progress, not perfection. She's proud of the woman that she is. This is a woman that I want to be. And, 
you know, I don't think I'm that far from it, but there's a lot of things in there that need to be cleared. And to be honest, you've just got to become conscious of them. I did have some affirmations that I enjoyed. So here's three that I love. I continue to strive for progress, not perfection. I forgive myself for my past behavior and mistakes. I'm constantly learning and evolving. I'm proud of the person I am today. Everything that's happening now is happening for my highest good. So the main question is, did positive psychology, focusing on perfectionism, self-criticism, help me think, move or feel better? And the answer is yes, I am better for it. That's it for my two weeks of positive psychology. If you want to see the behind the scenes from this challenge, check out my Instagram at Katie Williams. My next challenge is mobility with personal trainer and yoga teacher Shona Virtue. Join me next time to see if I'm better for it. Better For It was presented by Katie Williams and produced in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer, Lindsay Green. Audio producer, Darcy Thompson. And executive producer, Jennifer Goggin. For more episodes, head to podcastoneaustralia.com.au. Download the free Podcast One Australia app or search Better For It podcast.